0: I'm Dorianne Wheel. Welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. Hello and welcome to Thrive with Dr. D. It's my great, great pleasure to be hosting my friend and erstwhile colleague, Dr. Erstwhile, very upfront colleague, David (laughs) Abramson, clinical psychologist, an expert in family and child therapy. David is invited to consult to many organizations You've seen him in print, you've seen his articles, and you've heard him many times um, in the media as an expert, most especially, Dave, I would imagine you sort after of to now with everything that we're going through regarding the COVID virus and the lockdown, and how this is affecting children and families, and most especially, how do we cope with it? We really yeah. need way into it now and we've still got a way to go. It can't be easy.
1: Dori, thank you firstly for having me on your show. It's a, it's a real privilege to be here. And to say absolutely, this is, uh, I think, as everyone's been saying, in our lifetimes, this is unprecedented. And adults are trying to deal with this coronavirus on their own, but then at the same time trying to navigate this whole experience for their children as well, which, which isn't easy.
0: And, you know, I remember the whole kind of cliché, but it was a cliché for good reason. When we get asked, how do children learn? And the reply is example, example, and example. Yes. I don't know if you go along with that, but I think that if that's true, at least to a large extent, in the way you are dealing with it can be quite contagious. And maybe in a positive way and in a negative way, perhaps even toxic, which adds a completely different responsibility for you as the adult, because you're doing it for yourself, but also for your children.
1: I think that's the golden rule, really, of parenting is that, you know, we need to set the example because children not only react to how we feel, but they do what they see. And I think in this circumstance, it's so important. And I'm so glad you started with this because I think it's step one is to make sure or be aware of how we are dealing with it, how we're feeling about this coronavirus. And I don't think it's really about saying to your children, you know, I'm absolutely fine. This is not of no concern. It's really just about making sure that you are contained within your anxiety or within your concerns. And what I mean by that is, is that you can be concerned and you can be anxious about the situation. But I think it's very important when you talk to your kids and you're around your kids, that you are not allowing them or making them feel insecure, if you are feeling overwhelmed by the situation. So As I say, I'm so glad you started with this because I think this is the most important thing. And I think if parents are not aware of their own reaction and aren't aware and able to change their outlook, if they are feeling overwhelmed when they're talking to their children, then I think children are going to be anxious and overwhelmed, you know, from the get-go.
0: So I think that this, just to discuss it further for a minute, because, Mm. you know, one would say that to be anxious and overwhelmed because of what we're going through. It's a situation, um, as you say, that's unprecedented. And our reaction, indicating those kinds of emotions which get translated into behavior, is often not acceptable, but normal reactions to a hugely traumatic situation. So you would expect some of that. But I think that what I would like to ask you is the kind of fine line Of knowing that you're going to, that you as the parent feel those things, but that in a sense you know how to contain them, recognize them, but contain them so that they don't spill over in a way that is scary and unacceptable Mm -hmm. to your kids. So, how honest can you be?
1: I think for me we I think often as parents have this inclination to want to protect our children and say you know everything's going to be fine don't worry but I think that's not reality and children are not silly you know I think especially these days children are very savvy and tech savvy and they have availability to information and I think for me it's not about trying just to tell them that everything's okay but at the same time we don't want to traumatize them I think the question we need to ask is What is going to help our children? What is the goal? And I would imagine that the goal is not, as we say, to traumatize them or to cause great anxiety, but rather to contain them and let them know that if they have any questions or any kind of concerns that they should speak about them. And I think there's a real kind of misperception out there that if you talk about vulnerability or you talk about your anxious feelings, that you're going to get more anxious the irony is that if, you, if children keep it to themselves and often hearing incorrect information and believe that information it actually creates more anxiety. If we help our children to, and I think the first step is to ask them what they've heard. What do they know? Because often we, even us as adults, go into sites where we get incorrect information. So I think the first thing to do is to try and understand what they understand about the situation and understand about the virus. And then to give them age appropriate information about it, but at the same time also to allow them to identify their feelings. And it's, you know, again, not about allowing them or, or helping them to feel more vulnerable. Not at all. It actually is about empowering them. Because if we give them a voice, if we give them words, uh, labels that they can put to their feelings, then we can say, for example, oh, so you, you're feeling lonely right now. Okay, so we understand it. What can we do about it? Let's brainstorm. Why don't we uh, maybe get in touch with some friends? So again, it's not about helping our children just to be vulnerable for vulnerable vulnerability's sake. It's about actually empowering them. So I think that's the first thing to do is to check out what they know and make sure that they have credible information. And if they don't, to correct them, but clearly in an age-appropriate way. So we need to take into account the age of our child. Then I also think it's important, we, as we said, we identify the feeling and help. Then, by empowering them to find solutions.
0: Now, in part of the identifying of the feeling, just to step back to what we were talking about for one minute, would you say that it's important not only for you to identify your own feeling, but to share that feeling too? Or would you say that that's in the realm of kind of creating a bit of an echo chamber and maybe accelerating some of the anxiety. So would you say, oh, I'm also uncertain, or, you yes. know, we're not sure what is really going to happen, or sometimes I get lonely too, and that's why you see me phoning on to so-and-so and on to so-and-so. <laughs> so I get so-and-so quite <laughs> yes. often. And that know, yes. so even grown-ups feel these sorts of things, but then the example is seeing you own the feelings and dealing with them in a not hugely dissimilar way, with containment and acceptance and then some kind of action strategies that you were talking about that you would hope they would embrace.
1: Absolutely, Dori, spot on. I think I think really most children are very intuitive and especially when it comes to their caregivers, if it's their mom or their dad or caregiver, they often are very in tune to their emotion. And I think if you say to your child that you're feeling absolutely fine, absolutely perfect, and really you're not, I think again, that's very disconcerting. It creates a lot of insecurity for the child, you know. You know. And what you say
0: to the in that moment is that it's not okay to be anxious or to be uncertain you know actions are going to say my mom has to tell me something but she's clearly feeling something else And then it causes the confusion and they don't know whether to listen to their, you know, what they're picking up very strongly, intuitively or to the words that they're saying. So I think that you saying you need to be honest, but contained and your own honesty about and authenticity about how you're feeling will also help you with your feelings in Mm. the same way as you're hoping it's going to affect your children. Yes. If you name it, you can tame it. And that's true for both of you. You know, sometimes they're more like, if you feel it, you can heal it. Okay, we can go on with that. Then you're saying, okay, that's not enough to just feel it. You're not going to leave the kids with those feelings of vulnerability. You're going to explain to them what it's about and then offer them some kind of strategies and action steps enabling them to deal with the feelings so how would you because some parents are saying yes they know that they have to but they don't know what to say you know Mm, do you talk about mm. a little green copper (laughs) that you can't see you know where is it why is it so powerful let's say we were talking to maybe an eight-year-old Dave what sort of explanation would you give to them
1: well, I think it's important to, to if it is an eight-year-old, to keep in mind that, you know, when we come to that age, I think we also got to be aware of proximity. And what I mean by that is that, you know, they might be aware of what's happening in the world, but find it very difficult to kind of distinguish between what's happening far away from them and what's happening here. So I think Up to eight years old, I would say it's very important to kind of set proximity into their minds. So this is what's happening in this part of the world, and this is what's happening in our part of the world, and this is what we are doing here versus there. Because I think sometimes children at eight feel, if they hear about all these deaths, for example, in New York, You know, we'll immediately assume that that's happening in South Africa. So I think the first thing is proximity and to actually show them in a very practical way. You know, go onto Google, show them the world map, show them the distance. But I do think for me it's important to talk about it being a flu and it being a very, you know, a flu that is contagious. But it's a new flu. It's a new kind of cold and that people get it in varying degrees from, you know, some people get it very severely and some people get it very mildly. But I think it would be important to point out to the children that they're not sure why exactly, but children aren't getting it in uh, very severe ways. So that's very important to point out to them. But then I think it's important to point out what they can control. Because I think even adults, but as children as well, we thrive on predictability and consistency. And we certainly when we're feeling anxious, we try and fight this fight between what we can control and what we can't. And I think absolutely, you know, we need to point out what we can control in the situation. And that would be around, you know, social distancing and explain that that's what we can control, that we can sneeze into our elbows, you know, that we can wash our hands for 20 seconds. And that will also help. So, I think to give a balanced view, to show that, yes, sure, sure, this is a serious situation, but there are things that we can do to mitigate the circumstances. There are things that we can do that we can control in order to help our situation.
0: So, Dave, they see that we are putting these actions in place by what we're doing at home and, in fact, by the fact that we're not even going out. So they see us putting that into place, you know, at home. Yes. Yes, okay. What kind of behaviours that um, might cause concern in parents Mm. as to how well the children or whether they are or not handling this and navigating Mm. this landscape? Because I think that the more you can talk about it and answer these questions, you might prevent kind of acting out behaviors. But you are getting a lot of parents, and mm-hmm. so am I saying, My child isn't sleeping. There's um, much more fighting in the house than we used to see, maybe because of containment, but it doesn't appear only to be like that. Or there's bedwetting or mm. you know, those mm. kinds of things. What would you look out for and how should you respond mm. with uncharacteristic behaviour?
1: Mm. I think it's important to say that this is you know, an unusual situation and, uh, and it would be normal to expect, just like with adults, that we would see some anxiety in our children and we would see some kind of irritability in our children. So I would say if there is a change, and I would say relatively slight change in your children's behavior, you know, I think for me that would be normal. But I think as you're asking, I think what's very important is to know when it is becoming a problem. When do we seek professional help? And I think the first thing is to watch out for any change in behavior, because children are, are interesting beings, because even if they're not, and I suppose it helps to a degree, you know, if they're not even talking about how they're feeling, they will show it in their, in their routine and the things that they do. So, for example, the things I think we need to watch out for is, are they not eating or are they eating more than normal, more or less? Is their sleep completely disrupted? So yes, often children are going to bed later, but are they struggling to fall asleep? Are they having nightmares? When they are doing their work from school, are they struggling to concentrate? And very importantly, um, are children regressing? So you know, regression would be when a child, and these are obviously we're talking about younger children, when they've reached a developmental milestone. For example, like they are no longer needing a dummy, and now they're wanting a dummy again or they were dry, and now they're wetting themselves again. That would be uh, something to take note of and to be concerned about. And also to watch excessive levels of irritability. I think it's normal to be, and this is especially for teenagers, uh, I think it's normal to be irritable under these circumstances because one is enclosed in one's house. You are interacting with the same people, and even if you love them, your family, it can still become very claustrophobic. So I think it's a degree of irritability. So it's really about knowing your child and knowing that things seem off, they are not the same, and their habits are changing. Eating more, eating less. Sleeping much more or sleeping much less. Very, very irritable compared to just, you know, the usual teenage irritability. Anger as well, I think it's very important to watch out for as well, because we know that behind anger, is vulnerability. So we really need to watch out for these things. And if they're lasting for more than I would say at the moment, like four, five, six days, then it's something to be concerned about.
0: Now, in terms of before you make that call to the professional, the way that parents are sometimes reacting to it, are these numerous ways some parents are understanding that this is a kind of a reaction to what they're going through and they might behave to their kids of saying trying to extract from them or saying this is a tough time or there's something worrying you or um, would you like to talk with me about it inviting the kids in to share the feelings, but other parents, maybe because of their own difficulty and their own level of irritability and frustration and being locked down, you know, for 24-7 all the time, are saying things to their kids now, you just come on, go to your room, be a big boy, what's this all about? Kind of pull yourself together sorts of responses. There's quite a lot of that now, but mm-hmm. partly because their parents think that that might be the best way to react and just... Yeah you know, man up and get on with it and partly as a reflection of what they're going through. Mm -hmm. So the question is, how do you deal with it before you make the call to the professional? And the other part of it, how do you manage yourself?
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, actually, it's a very tough time to be a parent. It really is. And uh, actually, when I go on to uh, sites which give advice to parents, I actually feel as a parent myself, overwhelmed. And I think a very, very important thing is that when we are given all, these, you know, all this advice, I think it's important to keep in mind that we're going to just try to our best under these circumstances. You know, we're not looking for perfection. So, you know, I think the first thing is to, I think, be kind to yourself as a parent. So if your child, and I'm going to say your adolescent, even your child who's at primary school is on their screens more I would say that's absolutely fine. And the reason being is that you do want them to talk about their feelings. You do want to allow them to express themselves. But at the same time, you don't want them to be thinking about it 24-7. And distractions are so important. And on top of that, this is the way that they communicate with their friends in the outside world. To ask your question, I would say the first thing is to, very difficult, but to let go a little bit. And to be kind to yourself, as in, you know, because we're talking about routine, there has to be routine and the kids must wake up and you must wake up and you must get into your clothes and you must start your day. Yes, try your best to put in maybe two things that you do every day, maybe a bit of exercise in the morning and work in the afternoon or the other way around and try and have meals together. But on the whole, be kind to yourself because it's very, very difficult if you're a parent, To say, right, if my child is not or my adolescent is not coping, what we're going to do is create more structure. What we're going to do is clamp down more, create more boundaries. Because right now, that would be unfair to, I think, the parent, and I think that'll be unfair to the child. So I think the first thing to do is to try and be kind to both of you. So (laughs) I think that's number one. So all this advice is very good and I think makes sense. But we're not looking for for perfection. So So I would say...
0: Let it go. Let it Mm -hmm. go. Have more flexible boundaries and extend them a bit. And really, it's not the end of the world. Okay, on the screen or watch. Or if you feel like watching a movie, (laughs) you need time out. You know, Dave, what you're saying is what I've been seeing, and I'm sure you have too. Let's do lockdown right. That means I will learn, I'm will. going to register for four new online courses. I'll come out of here much more clever, a much better parent, and much more knowledgeable, and I'll complete my PhD online and read 130 books. And I'll be slim because of all the time that I've got for exercise every day.
1: And don't forget you're going to be playing a, a new instrument. And, oh, and, and
0: learn a new language. And a new language.
1: Way.
0: Yeah, when you say it like that, I think we can see that it sounds ridiculous to be too harsh to have some flexibility and that kindness to yourself and to them i think that there are a lot of people who are listening to this would say oh thank goodness that yeah. that, that that gives me permission i'm yes. doing it okay i'm doing okay it's the good enough
1: it's so good enough and and yeah. we know dory from such that good enough is actually what we aim for. You know, we don't yeah. want to aim for perfection. We're aiming to do this good enough, and we want both our children and ourselves to come out the other side closer. And I think you know, it's a very stressful time. But I've often spoken to parents over the last few weeks, and they've said, with all the stresses—the financial stresses, the emotional stresses, the psychological stresses—there are some very unique things that we haven't been able to do, like spend time with our kids, like we have been. And certainly, certainly, I think we do need to try and look for those areas of positivity. But, but, as we are saying, we can look for those areas of positivity, but we're not looking to do the perfect lockdown where we come out the other side, as you say, learning a new language, playing an instrument. And we are just such a tight, you know, family who hasn't had one quarrel the whole time.
0: Yeah. Now the reality also is that there are times, and I'm talking about both parents, because many of the parents are still trying to carry on their jobs at home, which they usually go out of the house for. So they're parenting, they're being a part, a husband or wife. They need a little bit of time out for themselves. They might have kids who keep coming in and saying, "I'm bored, I'm bored." It's a hell of a juggling act today.
1: It is very much so, Tori. It's, it is so difficult, and especially if your children are younger. I think that, you know, if your children are adolescents, I think for me that it is a little bit easier. But when children do get bored and they do keep interacting, it's so difficult to be productive at home. And I, I think that kind of goes to our previous point where if you are lucky enough to have a partner, to work together as a team, to try and have the one partner entertaining the children or, or sitting with the children while the other one works. But I think it goes to our point, as I said earlier, where it's okay if you're working to, to allow your children to go onto screens, let them, let them be entertained. And as I say, you know, we're not looking for the ideal. We're looking to do what works and what is And obviously we don't want to put them onto programs, which are violent, which is going to cause, I think that goes without say, anxiety, but certainly allow them to go onto, onto screens where they're communicating with friends and family and where they can do, have fun as well. And it's amazing you know, what is out there to entertain our children with. So allow yourself, you need to work to entertain your children in the easiest way possible.
0: So Dave, you mentioned about task negotiation between the parents during this time because they need to relieve each other um, what about involving the children in making a contribution in the family to assign tasks to them and let them feel the kind of joy of contribution?
1: It's such a wonderful point you're making, because in South Africa, our children, because of our circumstances here, often aren't under normal circumstances empowered to do things around the house uh, which they really should be learning. And we talk about a real education. How many of our children know how to cook an egg? How many of our children know how to fold clothes? You know, and these might sound like very simple things, but um, if you are encouraging your child to, to cook something and then to eat it, the sense of accomplishment is huge. And I think these are the kind of things that not only, as you're saying, helps out the family, but at the same time will empower the child like they learn a new practical skill that they certainly will use you know, as they get older and into adulthood. So it's unbelievably valuable on so many levels, keeping them busy, giving them a sense of accomplishment and empowering them during the time. So I'm a very, very big fan of that is to give them tasks around the house which they haven't done before. I think that is a wonderful, wonderful idea.
0: Dave, if people could remember... A couple of major points that Mm -hmm. are going to see them through. One thing that we didn't say, which I think is important, and that is that that depending on your relationships, both with your children and your partner, this kind of lockdown time acts like a sort of an incubator or a frying Mm -hmm. pan. It makes Mm -hmm. it come to the fore. And so maybe there were things that kind of weren't dealt with or there was space that wasn't entirely clean. In some way, when we're not talking about entirely, we're talking about good enough. It does give you an opportunity, but perhaps conflicts can do come to the fore. Do you see it as a kind of time to be able to sit down quietly and deal with things in a contained way that might have been hard to talk about before? Or what would be your take on that, using that as an opportunity?
1: Yeah, I think it is a great opportunity because we can sit and we have got time to actually talk. And so that is one of the benefits of this lockdown is that we are forced to slow down. We are forced to actually be with our children. And as you're saying, be with our partner. Now, I think it all really depends on the situation. And if you and your partner have the skills and the ability to listen to each other and to work through things. I think it can be unbelievably productive. But at the same time, I think that if the conflict is not resolving itself or actually escalating during this time, then I do think it's important to to kind of put things on hold. Because right. as we've been saying, we need a lot of our resources right now. We need to be kind to ourselves right now you know certainly if we need to work from home or we we have financial concerns or we're needing to contain our kids I think it's unrealistic to think now that we need to solve our issues with our partner if we are not communicating well I would say to my partner let's put this on hold let's put our energy into working together as a team but as far as our relationship's concerned let's wait until we can get maybe a third person involved a professional psychologist um, to help them through it.
0: Because in fact, even putting it on hold and working as a team might influence the issue in a different way because you haven't had a chance to kind of cooperate in that kind of way probably for a long time. So it might even, you know, might even do something, seeing that commitment to a common outcome during this time.
1: Absolutely, like the cart before the horse, and yeah. and maybe for some couples it is about starting with just being together and helping each other out, which then leads to um, better communication. So sure. absolutely
0: sure. So, Dave, we've spoken about a great many things. You've given lots of advice, some very very good practical advice, and advice in terms of understanding, managing yourself, and your kids. What would you like to say to people in closing? please to take into account during this difficult and mm. uncertain time that we're all living through?
1: Thanks, Dori. I think the first thing is to be kind to oneself and to realise that this is a very, very difficult situation for us as adults. And of course, it's going to be difficult when we put on our parenting hats as well. So I think the most important thing is that we get fantastic advice. And I think the advice that we are getting on social media, or well, most of it, is very sound. But keep in mind, that is the ideal. That is the yardstick. And as you said, Dorry, we're looking for good enough. So yes, children do and adults do respond well to predictability and consistency. So I think for me, absolutely try as much as possible. Try as much as possible within reason to have a degree of predictability and consistency in your lives and, and for your children. But at the same time, be very careful not to stress yourself to a point Were you feeling like you need to run your house like (laughs) we were saying a prison camp? So number one is be kind to yourself and look to do your best. The second thing I would say is watch, if you're a parent, how you are responding to the situation, because as we said in the beginning, children will pick up on your feeling. And just to say, it's not about being absolutely fine and uh, not showing real emotion but it's about expressing your emotion and showing your emotion in a contained way that your yeah. child will feel contained as well. So I think those are the two most important points, Dory.
0: Well, Dave, thank you very, very much. <laughs> Valuable advice. And I think that it's, it's input that makes people feel better about themselves, um, very much so. And that you're not going to do it all. There's cooperation, there's sharing, there's recognition. Of the challenges of this time, and we get through it in the very best way we can. And I think that we're going to get through it, you know, taking these things into advice. We know one is saying thank you for this amazing learning opportunity, but there might be some really good effects to do with connection and understanding and cooperation that we can take with us going forward as well. So, thank you so, so much for your advice and your wisdom, your expertise, and your time, Dave. Thank you.
1: My pleasure, Darian.
0: I'm Dorian Wheel. You've been listening to Thrive with Dr. D.